That last one wasn't planned. He literally just showed up. So it, it did happen. So um, we're continuing our series on how to do the things that you, you just cannot do or you can't do. And so uh, Stan and I were talking and processing through uh, kind of what to talk about and what is kind of a transformational thing that happens in our lives. And we, we talked about prayer two weeks ago and last week. Dave came and talked about what does it mean to encourage each other and to sacrificially give of ourselves through encouragement and empowering each other. And today I wanted to talk about something that I think takes uh, that to the next level, something that takes that concept to not just a higher level but a deeper level. And I want to talk about confession and what it means to confess with each other and what that looks like and how it helps and what are the pitfalls of confession, the reasons we don't confess the reasons we do confess and just how that works in our lives. And so one of the things I thought about, and I read this book in, in college, it was uh, Blue Like Jazz, and he had this concept in, in, in the book about doing a reverse confession. He set up a confession booth, like a, a, a Catholic-style confession booth at a university, and he sat in the booth, and students would come, and they would out of intrigue or, or whatever, and it said confession booth on it, and they would come and they would think that they are supposed to confess, but in reality, Donald Miller, the author of this book, would confess to them the, the ways that, that Christians have failed over the years and throughout the centuries. And so Stan and I kind of talked about that and liked that concept, and so this past week on, on Monday, I just decided to have a sign that said, we're sorry, and, and to walk around town. And we walked around for maybe a, a half hour, hour or so, and a lot of people were looking at the sign, and a, a lot of people were talking to us. But the thing that was so intriguing to me about it, because I would go into my spiel about I'm a local pastor, and you know, I just wanted to share some of the ways that I feel like maybe we failed the community or we have an engaged culture in, in a lot of different ways, but before I did anything, people said, I forgive you. It was the weirdest thing in the world. And it kind of triggered this idea in my mind and my heart uh, of what God looks like when he engages us. I hold this sign. They probably thought, uh, you know, I did something to my wife or, or I was shamed into this by my, my friends. But every single time someone who engaged us in conversation saw the sign, they say, we forgive you. And they have no idea what I was sorry about. It could have been something crazy, horrendous. It could have been a joke. It could have been anything. But it was interesting that the initial response was always, I forgive you. This weird, just unconditional acceptance. There was no judgment in whatever my sin was or whatever I was sorry for. Now, I know this concept. You know, one of the things that works extremely well, if you've ever heard about it or, or been a part of it, is AA, Al Alcoholics Anonymous, or, or NA, um, Narcotics Anonymous, and there's a lot of different things that, that you know, because they admit from the beginning that there's a problem. Hi, my name is Jane, and I'm a compulsive gambler. Everyone, hi, Jane. Hi, my name is so-and-so, and, and I'm an alcoholic. Or, you know, hi, my name is Grant, and I know your business, because I'm not going to tell you <laughs> what I struggle with. No, but it's hard. It's hard to 
confess. It's hard to engage. It's hard to, to be vulnerable. You know, I feel like most of the time when I was growing up and the times that I would confess is when I got caught, you know, or a lot of times even when I did get caught, I wouldn't confess. I can think of one time, I don't know if you know this about me, but I was kind of a butterball when I was growing up. And so I would sneak into the kitchen when my mom was watching Rescue 911, um, and I would steal cookies and cake and candies and stuff like that. And uh, of course, all of you, I know you won't admit it, but little boys wear whitey tidies. And so I would fill my whitey tidies with treats and desserts and army crawl back to the bedroom. And I don't know if my mom heard me because I'm uh, 190 pounds walking through the kitchen and she thinks she's getting robbed or whatever, but somehow she, she didn't catch me, but she knew I was doing something. So she comes into the bedroom and she pulls the covers off and look, there's nothing there. No cookies, no nothing. And then she looks down at my whitey tidies and then just candies and cookies fall out of my whitey tidies. And I still didn't confess. I still didn't confess because I wasn't wrong. But <laughs> it's important to admit the truth. It's important to confess. It's important to admit the truth not only to God but to yourself. You see, there's freedom on a whole nother level when we confess to somebody else, though. It's very easy for us to confess. It, it, you know, it's important to talk to God or even to yourself, and sometimes that's a harder thing to get to is admitting in yourself that there's a problem. But once you take that step and admit or confess to someone else, you enter into a whole new level of freedom. We're gonna be looking at James chapter five, verse 16. We'll be bouncing around in a couple different verses as well, but this is the one that it kind of brings encouragement to my soul Starting in verse 16 on chapter 5 of James, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Not only is it commanded to confess, but it's also coupled and encouraged with prayer. One of the pitfalls with this and one of the reasons I believe that people aren't vulnerable or it becomes difficult to confess is this very reason. We don't have a safe place. I know a lot of times in, in church circles and other circles, we, we use that, that weird prayer, you know, hey, can you pray for my friend, you know, his wife's leaving him, you know. I don't really always think we're seeking out prayer. We're trying to convey or communicate secret information without being gossipers, holy gossipers, that's what I call it. And so confession is difficult and tough because one, it makes us vulnerable. 
Anytime that you confess, anytime that you communicate a weakness that you have in your deepest parts of your soul, it makes you vulnerable. I remember experiencing this um, probably on the greatest level is with my wife. Before we got married, we, we went through premarital counseling and we, we, we talked and we had a counselor and we were engaged and it was bliss and it was great. But one of the things that we had to do or we were encouraged to do, and the truth of the matter is sometimes people don't even do this because it's so hard to be vulnerable, even with the person that you're willing to spend your life with, is to confess. Confess the ways that I've hurt her in the past. Confess the ways, the confess the ways that I've sinned. And then have her confess the ways that she sinned against me. Bringing up deep hurts. Decisions made pre-Christ. Decisions made after Christ. But once again, laying everything on the table. You see, the crazy thing about confession is it's, so, it's a lot easier for us as a culture to get naked in front of each other, physically, than it is to look at somebody and bear your soul and to confess and to be vulnerable in that way. Think about that. Think about how easy it is to be intimate in that way. But when's the last time that you've truly confess to somebody. And understanding that, even as a pastor, you know how hard and difficult it is for people to come forward at the end of service because it's that same concept and same idea that they're coming forward or you're coming forward to reveal a part of yourself that you don't even want to look at. Bonhoeffer, who, who is a German theologian in the, during World War II, said this, and it's one of the quotes that I've had written in my, my mind and my heart for, for years and years. It comes from the book Life Together. It's chapter 11. It says, when confession of sin happens, the last stronghold of self-justification is abandoned. When confession of sin happens... The last stronghold of self-justification is abandoned. In layman's terms, when you confess, you don't have a leg to stand on anymore. You're not that awesome. You're not that sweet. Your job's not that great. All the things that you've surrounded yourself with and all the ideas that you use to protect yourself, your clothes, your car, your job, your image, it's gone. When you confess your sins to a brother or sister in Christ, that's gone. And for me, there's freedom in that. Because I don't have to uphold or I don't have to, to, to project an image to the congregation, to my family, to, to anyone. Because even as I try, those images fail. But when I confess and I say, hey, for example, I... We'll save that for a little bit later. The easy path to confession to God is in generalities. A lot of times we think we're confessing and we're not. We're talking to God in general. Lord, forgive me my sins. Lord, forgive me for this day. 
God is great. God is good. Thank you for our food. Lord, our Father who art, forgive me my trespasses or debts or transgressions, depending where you grew up. But it's really difficult to be specific and reveal our mess. Lord, forgive me for that prideful comment that I made to my wife that made her feel less significant than me. And forgive me for doing it on purpose. It's a lot different than, Lord, forgive me my sins. Not saying that we shouldn't confess and ask for God's forgiveness, you know, but when we're specific and we reveal our mess not only to God but to ourselves, you start to see healing. But it's hard and it's difficult to admit even to ourselves because we rationalize. Someone said that what rationalization is actually rational lies. For me and for my life, I'll just, I'll do a little confessing on stage. I, I struggle with weight, I do. I, I, I use all the self-justifications even to you guys when I say it, you know, I'm probably 40 to 50 pounds overweight compared to what my doctor would probably want me at. And, you know, but I play football in college. I still think I'm a football player in college. <laughs> I didn't eat breakfast this morning, so it's okay to have two Chick-fil-A sandwiches, a, a, a milkshake, a cookie, and a large fry and a sweet tea, because I didn't eat breakfast, you know? When I ate five times the calories I would have eaten at breakfast. Or I'm big boned, you know, I'm just a bigger, I have a bigger frame. You really got, you can't tell, you know, I'm just a bigger framed guy, it doesn't matter. What are the things that I'm lying to myself about to justify and to rationalize why I have, a, 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 at the end of the day, a gluttony problem, a sin issue? And I'm not trying to fat shame anyone, I'm trying to speak truth in my life that this isn't just a physical thing for me, it's a spiritual thing. And we rationalize and we talk to ourselves and we say, oh, I do this because, you know, oh, that's just my personality type. That's why I come across as a jerk. It's just, it's just that's how I am. I'm an introvert or I'm an extrovert or whatever you say to rationalize your sin behavior. Because we get to a place that we don't even reveal it to ourselves. But the difficult thing about it is when we confess our sins to another person, we, we don't do it because we're trying to protect our image. I don't want to sit and say, hey, I struggle with weight. I don't want people to think that. I don't want people to, to know that, you know, hey, I probably shouldn't get that extra fifth sandwich or, you know, that when I walk in the back room, I'm, there's a decision I have to make every Sunday morning. There's, there's like six bananas, and then there's two dozen donuts. And this morning, I ate a banana. And 30 minutes later, I ate two donuts. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. And it's not for fuel for my body. It's not like I need this. I, I've got a lot of reserves in the tank. So why am I doing that? Is it for the, the three minutes of pleasure that I get from the endorphins from the sugar? Why? But whatever it is, I rationalize. And I don't want to talk about it because it protects my image. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a football player, you know. 
suck in a little bit, flex up a little bit. Played football in college. You didn't know that? Let me tell you about when I played <laughs> eight years ago, nine years ago. Like, get over it, you know? Or I play rugby or whatever. I haven't played rugby in a year. Whatever I can say in my mind to help to protect my image because that's what we try to do is we try to protect our image and that's why we don't confess. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Isn't that beautiful? He who conceals his sins does not prosper. Think about that. Because you know in your heart, I know when I look in the mirror that that's not right. Like, when we conceal our sins, we know it hurts us. When we don't confess and we're not vulnerable, we don't feel the healing that James is talking about. But when we do confess and renounce, <laughs> confess and renounce, not just say, God, forgive me my sins, but specifically say, kill that in my life, we find mercy. And that's why I think confession is valuable. I think it's valuable for a couple reasons, but one, when we confess to someone else, there's accountability. There's accountability. Not, unintentionally, now that I've confessed, Billy's probably gonna slap my hand when I try to go grab a donut later. Unasked for accountability, but accountability. When you confess that you're struggling to someone, just like with Alcoholics Anonymous or any addiction or any sin issue, and you invite somebody into your life, you have now just created accountability, and it's a lot easier to destroy sin with help. Because the problem is, and we know it all too well, that by ourselves we tend to fail because we rationalize something, but we need somebody who is actually rational to come and to speak truth and say, hey, that's not you. Or hey, this isn't for you. Or God's image of you is so much better than what you're telling yourself. Hey, your job isn't that sweet. Hey, the car that you have, whatever it is, that relationship with that boy that you need to let go of and, and confess and repent and say, hey, my dad has hurt me when I was younger and I'm trying to find love with you. Now, I won't admit that to myself or to anyone else, but when I do, now I have accountability with my sisters in Christ that I can now disengage from, from something that's probably destroying my life. Because where there's no vulnerability, there's no accountability. If I go and I confess and I say, hey, just, hey, could you pray for me, guys? I'm struggling, I'm just struggling. Can you pray for me? Okay, cool, thank you. Where there's no vulnerability, there's no accountability. You have no idea what to be accountable to me for. But when I'm vulnerable and I confess and I reveal a part of my soul and my heart and say, hey, I need help with this. I have just laid myself before you. Now you can help me. But when there's no vulnerability, there's no accountability. Think of it this way. 
college student. There's college students in here. You're a college student, and I know you never do this, college students, because you guys are all upright, upstanding people, but let's hypothetically say you cheated on a math test. You bring uh, a cheat sheet to a math test, and you get an A, and you cheated, and it's all good, and all those things, but you feel guilty, because I'm telling you right now in the sermon that you should feel convicted for cheating on a math test. So you feel guilty, and you're like, oh, man, I shouldn't have cheated on that math test, but, oh, I feel guilty about it. That guilt will pass, and the next time a math test comes and you don't study for it and you're not prepared, you're going to cheat again. Why? Why do we tend to repeat? Why do we tend to do these things? Because there's no accountability. Now, the right thing to do is to go to your professor and to say, hey, I I cheated. I cheated on this test, and three things are going to happen. One, you're going to to fail. (laughs) You deserve that anyways. You didn't study, you weren't ready, you should, you're going to fail. You get what you deserve. Two, they might let you take the test again. Maybe. You're honest, open, they might let you take the test again. Three, nothing. But every time you take a test, they're going to watch you like a hawk. Accountability has entered into the group. It's the same with, with any sin. When we don't confess and we're not vulnerable, we tend to repeat Sin we confess only to God, we tend to repeat. The sin that we hide in the darkness and we think, you know, God, we have this relationship. Lord, forgive me of my sins, which he will. Don't hear me on this. Just because you confess to God does not mean that your sins are not forgiven. Please don't hear that. If you only and have only ever confessed to God, your sins are forgiven on the cross. But it doesn't mean that you don't tend to repeat those sins. That's why James says, confess your sins. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You see, when we confess our sins, it releases the power of prayer. We talked two weeks ago about it, how prayer brings us intimately into a relationship with Christ. And when we focus on Christ, we can put death to sin. But when your brothers and sisters in Christ are praying for you and encouraging you and stepping into the gap that you've created with your sin, there's power in that. But when we hide our sin or we only confess to God, there's no accountability and we tend to repeat. You see, we need to understand that confession is an active example of God's grace. Confession is an example active example of God's grace. That just like I walked around downtown with the sign saying, I'm sorry, Jesus, when you confess, has already said, I'm sorry, or I forgive you, before you said, I'm sorry. How do I know this? How do I know I'm not making this up? Because he died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, none of you were born yet. And so all your sins were in the future, and Jesus died on the cross, forgave your sins, At that point in time, 2,000 plus years ago, historical event, Jesus died on the cross, forgave you of your sins before you committed any of them. Before you were born, he said, I forgive you. So when you confess, it's an active, just you're acknowledging that I agree with that. Thank you, Jesus, you've already forgiven me. Now I can walk in that forgiveness. 
First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is faithful and just and he forgives your sins. Repentance and confession are just us agreeing with the grace that Jesus has already given us. When Jesus died on the cross, he says, I forgive you. When you confess, you say, I agree. I acknowledge that you've forgiven me on the cross. When you don't confess, you don't believe in the cross. When you don't confess your sins, you don't believe in the cross. That's a very blunt statement, but I'm, I'm gonna say it. When you don't confess your sins, you don't believe in the cross. You don't believe Jesus is who he says he is or did what he said he did. Because if you did, there would be freedom that comes from confession that you would want and you need. So when you don't confess, you're honestly saying, I don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is or did what he said he did. That the cross is kind of null and void. Think about that. This should be convicting. I know for me it is. Confession sometimes requires intervention. Sometimes when someone confesses or when you confess, it requires intervention. It's just a practical, real idea that comes with people who are broken and hurting. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Sometimes when people confess, we have to intervene. In two ways. One, we have to intervene and, and to get them help. But two, also we intervene into carrying their burdens. I've said this, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it every week probably. This is not a museum for the righteous. This is a hospital for the broken. And sometimes people need to be transported. Sometimes people need help being carried. Some people need more surgery than others. Some people need intensive care. Some people are just coming for a checkup. But we all are broken. And we're mandated, and not only mandated, but encouraged to carry each other's burdens in so fulfilling the law of Christ. So what can you do? What can you do to get this process started or to continue in this process? One, you need to find somebody you can be completely honest with. Your, your husband, your wife, a, a friend, a mentor, whoever it is. Someone that you know in your heart that you can be completely honest with. It doesn't mean that you will be completely honest with them, but somebody that you can be completely honest with. Somebody you can find in your life that says, I can be completely honest with this person. And over time, you eventually will be. Because it takes time to dig out some of those things in our hearts. So find somebody that you can be completely honest with. And honestly, you need to make a decision to have a contrite heart. You need to make a decision to say, in humility, understand the truth of the gospel. Understand what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't even matter what I think. It only matters what Christ thinks about me. And he calls me his own, a co-heir with Christ, beloved, forgiven, and free. 
And in that knowledge of Jesus, now I can humbly go to the person that I'm going to be completely honest with and, and say, hey, I'm struggling. Let me just lay before you some of my, my weaknesses, some of my sins. And as you do that, we can just backflow, not just grace and prayer and, and just mercy will flood out of not only that person, but your own experience. I don't know if you've ever confessed to someone before, or if you've ever had that experience, but there's freedom that comes in confession. Now, there are bad ways to confess. Don't confess flippantly. Don't confess to someone you don't trust or you don't know, or don't confess to to manipulate, don't confess something to, to manipulate someone else's heart or, or, or to use that, that sin as a way to kind of motivate them to engage you in a certain way. I remember dealing with people who, high schoolers who would confess, their girlfriend would confess to their boyfriend so they would feel sorry for them, so they, they would feel more in love or vice versa. The, the, the boy would confess to the girl like, oh, I struggle with this, and it would make them feel like they were more vulnerable. Oh, he's such a, he's such a good guy. Look how vulnerable he is, and now I want to be with him and make sinful decisions. You need to find somebody to confess with that you can be completely honest with and do it in humility for the purpose of carrying each other's burdens, but also for the purpose of healing that comes through understanding Jesus. I would encourage you to, to find somebody of the, the same gender or a husband or, or a wife. It makes it a little simpler. If you understand who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, you'll understand why confession is not only important, it's, in, it's essential. It's an essential part of our daily walk in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have interceded for us that we can come and confess to you and we can we don't have to go to a specific person and that there's there's healing just because of an individual person but rather when we confess our sins to you God there is forgiveness that there's healing that we're saved by Christ alone but that you offer for us and encourage us to to bear each other's burdens and to confess to one another Lord, so that we can experience together grace and mercy. Lord, I thank you for all the things that you have done and continue to do as people confess and are being healed. Lord, and I thank you for those willing to share their stories. It's in Jesus' name.